0: On a Sunday night at Arrowhead, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs would face off against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Both quarterbacks would lead their teams in rushing. Like Patrick Mahomes rips off this 34-yard run right up the middle. That was the longest run of the day. He took exactly what the defense gave him. It was no different for Josh Allen. On fourth and two, right here, they're going to run quarterback crack right here. He's going to get behind Mitch Morris. And Spencer Brown, he's just going to run right over Tyron Matthew right here through Jerron Reed for 10 yards and a first down and keep the Bills' drive alive. And the opening score of the game for the Kansas City Chiefs, no surprise. Patrick Mahomes doesn't find anybody to throw to, so he just put it in his own hands and he takes off for it. He's got his eyes on the pylon. He knows if he touches the ball of the pylon, it's a score. And the Chiefs get on the board with Patrick Mahomes' eight-yard touchdown run. And then there was Josh Allen, just the RPO game, just the, the give throw, the fake right here, and then the throw, the sidearm delivery to Cole Beasley for 24 yards, keeping the drive alive. And it was magic throughout, like this touchdown to Byron Pringle off a little boot action fake right here with two Buffalo Bills chasing Patrick Mahomes jerry hughes and matt milano he put the jake break on and then just jumped he jumped and he threw it somehow to byron pringle who beat micah hyde for a touchdown right there second touchdown of the day magic by mahomes josh allen was not to be outdone at all this is the first half right here he ties the score up right here you get motion right here and they're going to run a switch route with Gabe davis right here and there's going to be two chiefs running into each other and he hits Gabe Davis for his second of four touchdown passes to tie the score up before the half, 14-14. Mahomes and the Chiefs never stopped attacking. Even with 30 seconds to go in the first half, he would find Tyree Hill across the middle right here for 26 yards. Just put it in the Chiefs' hands and let him go get as many yards as possible. They couldn't do much with it, so that set up the second half where it only got hotter. Like McCole Hardman right here is going to come in motion. And then he's going to come right back across in motion right here. And Mahomes is going to hand it off to him. He's just going to use that electric speed of his. Just try to find an opening. That would put the Chiefs up 23-14. Look, look at commanding lead in the third quarter, except Josh Allen would get the ball right back. Josh Allen would slice that 23-14 lead, just cut it right up on the first play. He would find Gabriel Davis for 75 yards right over the Chiefs defense. No time or math to really hold down the back end. And just like that, in one play, the Bills got right back in the game. And Josh Allen off play action right here. Here it is. Eyes up down the field, look left, and they came back in just 60 yards in the air. A bomb, a long bomb, 75 yards. Bills cut that lead to 23-21. And then the cheetah, Tyreek Hill, would take his first punt return back of the season. Every playmaker, hands all on deck right here, 45 yards would set up a field goal by Harrison Butker to put the Chiefs up 26 to 21. But with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Josh Allen would erase that 26 to 21 lead with this touchdown here to Gabe Davis, 27 yarder, right down the middle of the Chiefs' defense. You can see that the corner fell down for the Chiefs again. And Josh Allen, you make a mistake, you fall down, he'll find you. And he'll put a stake right through your carotid artery right there as the Bills take the lead. But they weren't done. No, they're up 27-26. What else could they do? Two-point conversion right here. Josh Allen trying to find somebody. Anybody being chased by Chris Jones, doubling back. Oh, he'd find his favorite target. Stephon Diggs right there in the back of the end zone for a two-point conversion. to go up three with two minutes to go. Would that be enough? Because 47 seconds later, Mahomes would find Tyreek Hill here on this crossing route. It wasn't enough to just go down and try and kick a field goal. Finds Hill on this dig route, and then he put the ball and his feet into overdrive. He hit the gas pedal. He'd go 64 yards for a touchdown. They give the Chiefs the lead just like that with 113 to go. In the fourth quarter, so Josh Allen was down 33 to 29, 57 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, under a minute to go, and he'd find, who else, step up, look for that Gabriel Davis guy, having the the game of his life as he goes for 28 yards and a first down. And then here, with 17 seconds left, he'd find Gabriel Davis for his fourth touchdown of the day. That had to be enough, right? Commanding lead right here. Josh Allen, 17 seconds left. Finds Gabriel Davis for this 19-yard touchdown. Certainly that was enough, right? Uh, They just left too much time on the clock 13 seconds ago. the Chiefs find Tyree Kill? They got blockers out front. Byron Pringle and Travis Kelsey. He goes for 19 yards. Chiefs down three. They got to get in the field goal range. Travis Kelsey shortening his split right here. Just moving a little bit, finding the hole in the zone of the Buffalo Bills. And he'd go for 25 yards. The Chiefs with the timeout. The Harrison Butker field goal set this game into overtime, 36 to 36. So the Chiefs win the coin toss, and they went to work. Patrick Mahomes right here finds Travis Kelsey on third and one for 10 yards. Keep the drive alive. Mahomes would hit McCall Hardman on a crosser, this one for 26 yards. And the Chiefs were moving. he takes take this ball down to the eight-yard line. 36-36 in overtime. Would the Bills fall prey to Patrick Mahomes and to Travis Kelsey here or not even get a chance? Would the Chiefs just score on the opening drive of overtime a touchdown? That's Kelsey in motion against Matt Milano right here. A little wheel route. And Mahomes put it right on him. Mahomes right here directing traffic, getting his favorite tight end. In motion, and Mahomes with a little pump fake and a perfect throw to Travis Kelsey in overtime, giving the Chiefs the win, not even giving Josh Allen a chance or an opportunity for the game winner. One of the greatest games ever played, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes just had the ball at the end. Whoever had the ball last was going to win this game. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in an instant classic.
1: Now, not only was that game a total nail biter, <laughs> luckily uh, my Chiefs come out on top, but the three prior games of the day, all home teams lost by three points. Now, this was all set up that it could have gone the exact same way uh, without that, you know, without two things happening here the three points at the end of the game to put it into overtime and winning. The coin toss, because that could have been just as easily the Bills moving on to play Cincinnati. Uh, So now it looks like it's Kansas City, Seattle, or not Seattle, Cincinnati, (laughs) Seattle. They haven't been there in a while. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals uh, for the AFC. And the NFC is going to be another good matchup between the 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, That should be two more spectacular games coming up on Sunday that uh, I don't think anybody's going to want to miss. I think whoever the two teams are that are going to end up in the Super Bowl this year should put on, I think, a pretty good performance. So we'll see what happens there. So that's the the good news. Uh, We're about Super Bowl time. And uh, welcome everybody again back to the Nielsen Show and... We're going to get into some other good stuff here. Well, not really good stuff, but stuff you should know. So here we go here in just a moment at The Nielsen Show. All right, everyone. Uh, Welcome to The Nielsen Show. So I was recently listening to an episode of The Jesse Kelly Show. And he got talking about the sky is green. So rather than me explain it, I'm going to let you listen to what he said in his own words. I'm
2: going to begin here with the sky is green. You've heard me talk about this before. So I'm going to talk about it again and I'm going to talk about it again and again and again because it is true And it is important that we understand the forces we're up against and how powerful they are. I won't go through every detail of it, but this is essentially what I've said time and time again. You probably can say it yourself by now. If the system woke up tomorrow and decided they wanted you, they wanted a huge percentage of the country to believe the sky is green, they could do it. And when I say that you might roll your eyes and think no way I've Jesse I'm looking up at this guy now it's it's blue it's clearly blue I have eyes no one oh but they could they most definitely could one guy would say it maybe a politician if everyone decided they wanted that to be true you would soon have media outlet after media outlet after media outlet they would have expert after expert after expert on scientists so this guys with NASA Oh, I can't believe the sky actually is green. It's got something to do with the chemical compound. It's actually green. Hollywood would start making movies and the sky would be green in them. Don't laugh. It's true. You know they would. Communists have done much worse in the past. Athletes would be putting up Instagram videos. I'm so excited about the green sky. Go Saints! Green sky, green sky, green sky. Your professors would require you to acknowledge the greenness of the sky before you could graduate. Your doctor to have you get your eyes checked if you denied it. Green sky, green sky, green sky, over and over and over again until half this population at least would believe it. This is how the communist operates and this is how it works now in this country. Joe Biden had a very, very, very bad night last night, to put it mildly. A very bad night. As just a little example of how it went as he got up there, I'm not even talking about him potentially getting us into World War III. This is a little long, just just stay with it. And I want you to understand something. When you get to uncomfortable pauses on my life, Chris did not edit this. This is how the president of the United States of America, the leader of the free world sounds when he's speaking off the cuff. Why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? I have no idea. 20 minutes later. And i hope we God that they're, uh, that, look,
0: maybe I'm kidding myself, but as time goes on, the voter who is just trying to figure out, as I said, how to take care of their family, put three squares on the table, stay safe, be able to pay their mortgage or their rent, etc., has, is becoming much more informed on the, um, the motives of, um, some of the political players and some of the, uh,
2: and the political parties. We didn't edit that. We didn't edit that video. That's the president of the United States of America. Now, how did the system respond? There's been a ton of this. I'm not going to play you all of it, but here's a great example of how the system responded. This is a guest on MSNBC. Chris, if you don't mind, play number 13 for me. And to go for an hour and 50 minutes, hour and 45 minutes and not screw up
0: really demonstrably not screw up really at all it's really hard to do that and i and i gotta say the best answer to that real jerk who 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 thought that you could make news by asking the president of the united states hey are you senile which um uh i don't care what the polling says it just as a journalist you're never going to get an interesting answer to the question buddy you're not going to make news on that and the president did the right thing which was to say i don't know what you're talking about let's move on but the best answer was hey if you think i'm senile And I'm doddering. You get up here and try to do an hour and forty-five minutes in front of you and your colleagues, and not screw up. He didn't. I thought it was the best demonstration of the fact that the president's mind is perfectly fine.
1: (laughs) So that was the best explanation. I was a little bit long, but the sky is green. The media, you know, jumping in there, doing their part, being the good little lap dogs they are. Um, I just got to say that if. Any of you that happen to listen to this, call yourself a journalist and you report stuff like this when people can obviously see the sky is blue, but you're telling them it's green. (laughs) Uh, It's nothing to do with him being up there for an hour and 45 minutes. It's the fact that he's old. And that's going to happen to everybody at some point or another for the most part. But don't tell me that his mind is sharp and he's just fine and, you know, you go up and do that. There are plenty of people that talk for hours and don't have these super long pause and ramblings. Well, I kind of have ramblings, but that's a different story. But we're talking about the the leader of the free world, our president of the United States. He's not physically, mentally... I don't think, coherent enough to actually be doing what he's doing. That job, I'm sure, is super stressful with all the stuff that's coming down on their shoulders day in and day out, hour to hour. And when you're that old, I don't think you need that kind of stress. I mean, most people don't believe that he's actually running the show anyways, which he's probably realistically not. More of his you know, panel is calling the shots around there. But, he, uh, yeah, so that's that's the whole premise behind the sky is green. So, that gets me to this next article. Um, it's uh, another part of the Joe Rogan controversy. Um, so, this is Neil Young's music being pulled from Spotify after Rogan or Young comments. Uh, this media MediaWire uh see neil young's music is coming off of spotify after the singer penned an open letter saying the streaming service could have joe rogan's podcast or his music not both on monday young posted the letter to his website while it has since been deleted rolling stone reports young called on his management team and record label to remove his songs and albums from the streaming service ralph emery famed country music broadcaster Oh, whoops. I'm reading the, that. was some weird little weird thing that popped in there. <laughs> Sorry. Erase that part. <laughs> Young wrote, Spotify is spreading fake information about vaccines, potentially causing death to those who believe the disinformation being spread by them. He added that Spotify can have Joe Rogan or Young, not both. Rolling Stone reports. Spotify is now in the process of removing Young's music, according to the Wall Street Journal and the Hollywood Reporter. It could take several hours for his work to be taken off the platform. As of 2.30 p.m. Wednesday, Young's music can still be found on Spotify. According to the streaming service, the Heart of Gold singer attracts more than 6 million monthly listeners. Rogan's podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, was the most listened to in the U.S. and worldwide in 2021. Recently, 270 healthcare professionals signed an open letter to Spotify calling for the service to take action against the misinformation being shared on the Joe Rogan's Experience podcast. Yeah, I remember the 270 healthcare professionals that most of them were psychologists and other who knows college degree kids that don't they're not doctors. They're not healthcare professionals, most of them. I think I went over that on an episode or so ago, whatever it was. Uh, this article goes on, by allowing the propagation of false and societally harmful assertions, Spotify is enabling its hosted media to damage public trust in scientific research and sow doubt in the credibility of data-driven guidance offered by medical professionals, the letter stated. Well, I would say that the people that Joe Rogan has had on there, because they don't go with the narrative of the left, is pretty much... Just as good of information, if not better, in my opinion, than what the official narrative is. Because it's kind of falling apart. I mean, people that want to look for the truth can find it. And there's plenty of data to back up what a lot of these guys on Joe Rogan's podcast are talking about. So, with that in mind, it goes on. Healthcare professionals highlighted an episode featuring virologist Robert Malone, who they say promotes misinformation about COVID-19. Yeah, you know, he's, he's just a misinformation machine uh, and doesn't know what he's talking about, even though he helped invent the mRNA technology. Hmm. This epi- episode has been heavily criticized by many experts for remarks regarding the pandemic and how the coronavirus impacts people especially those who are younger, the Hill reports. And the Hill, they're a lefty paper anyways. One of the doctors who signed the letter, Dr. Katrine Wallace, an epidemiologist, epidemiologist at the University of Illinois Chicago School of Public Health, said that they were not calling for censorship or removal of the podcast. Instead, they want Spotify to create a policy on how to moderate misinformation. I would almost say that they do not even listened to Joe Rogan. Somebody listened to it and said, this can't be true. You know, some leftist listened to the episode or something, you know, or was told about it. And, uh, you know, somebody probably called them out on it. It's like, no, this guy on Joe Rogan's podcast said this and that. And oh, that's, that's false information. That's misinformation. And then it's probably spread from there. Not, none of the idiots probably even listened to it. So you have that. Uh, So, but misinformation, it's only a one-way street, according to these type of people. Because now we have, you know, king of misinformation, Communist News Network CNN, Brian Stelter tackles media misinformation in a talk to 8th graders. So this article talks about how he goes to this P.S., MS-207 school in Howard Beach, New York, as part of a lesson on how to identify misinformation in the media. So there's a teacher there that's uh, going over how to spot misinformation. So the visit, I'll just read you the article. The visit was featured on CNN's Reliable Sources this past weekend. And I think that's even funny in itself. CNN's trying to brand itself with Reliable Sources. <laughs> the class, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, the class's teacher Barbara King explained that misinformation can be combated with basic critical thinking skills. This is a real world problem, King said. So it's very easy to bring that in when they start realizing I can utilize these skills in anything that I do. Uh, kind of like so. This is what somebody else tweeted. Kind of like when CNN brands something as quote, reliable, but it couldn't be further from the truth, Scott Pressler tweeted. Uh, another tweet from New Hampshire's Libertarian Party questioned, Did you, didn't you spread fake Russiagate conspiracy theories for four years straight? <laughs> Others called into question the lack of diversity in the classroom in peace. <laughs> Did anyone else notice that there were zero African-American students in that New York City public school classroom? Twitter user Michael Jackson said. I don't know what really that has to do with anything, but <laughs> whatever. The piece also, though, drew praise for the teacher who uses curriculum from the nonprofit group News Literacy Project, which is supported by CNN and other left-leaning news outlets. <laughs> so this lady, she's a totally lefty here. Love it, Twitter uses Jamie Kelly said. Oh, Twitter user Jamie Kelly said, wish every middle school or high school in America was teaching this. Uh, of course, if you're a leftist, you you buy into all this crap. Another post drew attention to the need for greater news literacy among publications and platforms. I don't have a problem with teaching kids critical thinking and skills and media literacy, Twitter user Wood Oak 1999 tweeted, but if the classrooms are only going to focus on one network instead of critically assessing all networks and social platforms, then it's just propaganda. Point made. Uh, but yeah, it's just a funny article. I mean, if you if you go just... This one came out of uh, the Washington Examiner, this piece did. So it actually has the the piece that CNN put out, you can actually watch it on there. And it's Mr. Brian Stelter. And and remind you again, all these kids are wearing masks. Brian Stelter, the teacher, they're all wearing their masks, like good, good little stooges of the Communist Party. And if you've, And that's another part of that, I think, that mass psychosis that Dr. Malone was talking about is if you sit there and you scare everybody into believing that they're just going to die if they don't wear these masks, don't get vaccinated, don't get the boosters, yada, yada, yada. You know, you get somebody that's supposed to be, you know, Dr. Fauci, uh, still talking about possibly needing another booster if we're ever going to end this. They're using the fear psychosis to get people to do what they want. And it's, it's not science. It's political. And it has been pretty much since the beginning, or at least not long after the beginning when he started seeing what, what was going on. And, you know, there's so many articles that still talk about Oh, the cases, there's a huge spike in cases. Uh, And then there's other articles that try and give you uh, this new Omicron variant. There's a huge spike in deaths. Well, I don't really trust the numbers. Because like I've said multiple times before, did this person die from COVID or with COVID? Because the way the reporting has been going and some of the whistleblowers that have actually come out and tried to, you know, say, hey, look, you know, we're testing patients that, uh, you know, come in dead. That was, you know, from a gunshot wound or uh, in a car wreck or something. And for some reason, we test them. And if they have COVID in their system, they get put down as a death, COVID death. So you tell me that's not going to skew the numbers to scare people. Um if they wanted to to know that for whatever reason, then there should be a whole another category of how, you know, this person died of a gunshot wound they did have covid, over in a separate category that doesn't get put in with just covid deaths. Because that's not how they died. Obviously there's a big hole through their head. Probably because of all the other bull crap that the state they lived in was pushing on them. Forcing them to not go to work and all the other bullcrap that for some reason people are just fine with going along with. But I see bigger problems starting to come down the pipeline, unfortunately. I don't think uh, 2022, like everybody always thinks, oh, January 1st, you know, it's get that next year in it's going to be so much better the next year you know i don't know why people even think that all it is is a continuation yeah sure the calendar number flips over you go from 21 to 22 and next year we'll go to 23 but it doesn't mean just because that oh here's january 1st for some reason everything's just magically going to change and i know it's just Uh, It's one of those psychosis things that people just think, oh, this year is going to be a lot better. And you know maybe it's just a thing they have to put in their head to get themselves to do things like go to the gym and get healthier, which is typically the (laughs) New Year's resolutions. Uh, Stop drinking, stop smoking, stop whatever, uh, or start doing this or start doing that. But it doesn't really matter if you're not doing it already for the most part because what happens January comes around. Gym membership passes, you know, go through the roof for a short while. And then before long, people, just, you know, two months and they quit going. <laughs> but that's kind of what my point is trying to be here is just there's so much information out there. That these people, it's, it's just hilarious that they come in thinking, oh, oh, we're we're the media, you know, and just because we're saying this means that you got to believe us now. I mean, CNN has said they're they're going to start up the, some kind of new thing to regain the trust of the public. Well, it's like you know what—you still keep lying. So I don't know what what you're trying to prove here, other than just saying, "Oh, we're telling you the truth now, so you should believe us." <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh boy! All right, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. <laughs> And as if the trust in our institutions is not at an all-time low, at least for uh, us red-blooded Americans that fight to try and find the truth, Um, here's a story from the Epic Times. Big Tech, Censorship, and Socialism. Fact checkers are used to confuse the public. That's a piece by Cheryl Atkinson, which was is a lady that's been in uh, media for a while. I think she was with ABC or NBC, one of those major networks, and finally started to see how they were turning and operating more for the left and not really reporting the truth. Uh, She's a five-time Emmy Award winning investigative journalist and the host of the full measure in Leesburg, Virginia. So this one goes on to say, five-time Emmy Award winning journalist Cheryl Atkinson said she has seen an increased effort to manipulate the public to appreciate censorship and disapprove of journalism. One of the strategies that has been employed is the use of third-party fact-checkers, she said. Nearly every mode of information has been co-opted. If it can be co-opted by some group, and fact-checkers are no different, Atkinson told Epic TV's American Thought Leaders. Either they've been co-opted in many instances or created for the purpose of distributing narratives and propaganda, said Atkinson. This is all part of a very well-funded, well-organized landscape that dictates and slants the information they want us to have. Atkinson said she first started to notice news being controlled in the early 2000s when the media company she was working for was actively trying to suppress certain stories. The pushback came to be more about keeping a story from airing or keeping a study from being reported on the news, not just giving the other side, not just making sure it was accurately reported. She said a pharmaceutical company stories she was covering at the time. In 2016, Atkinson heard former President Barack Obama say news needed to be curated after which mainstream media outlets started to consistently use the term fake news to describe mostly conservative news stories that they deemed untrue. Quote, And I remember thinking that was such a strange thing to say because there was no big movement among the public that people needed to have their information curated, that someone needed to step in and tell us what to think. Curate was what was online. But after that, if you look at the media day after day, there were headlines about fake news and curation of what should and shouldn't be reported. Atkins was at Atkinson, Atkinson, holy crap. Sorry, slaughtered her name there. Atkison was referring to Obama's comment at the White House Frontiers Conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in October 2016. It's relevant to our democracy citizenship. We're going to have to rebuild within this wild, wild west of information flow some sort of curation function that people agree to, Obama said. Because Atkinson was curious about this idea of curating news, she researched the topic of misinformation, which led her to a nonprofit called First Draft, which was funded by former Google CEO Eric Schmidt. And if you looked at the nonprofit's website when they said fake news, they meant entirely conservative-based fake news and their viewpoint. There was no liberal version of fake news. And then, within a matter of weeks, President Obama gives the speech, the media takes off and runs with it. Atkinson said the fake news phrase was actually started by the left, but was effectively turned on its head by former President Donald Trump, and now most people think he coined the phrase. Uh, kind of another thing. Sky is green. Trump said it enough that everybody believed that Donald Trump came up with it. <laughs> but it's actually well-documented as an invention of political activists on the left during the time period I've described, Atkinson said. For her book, Smear, she interviewed people who worked to spread misinformation and propaganda with the goal of confusing the public. And they explained to me that if they do nothing more than confuse the information landscape, maybe you don't totally buy what they say but they've done enough to make you not sure of anything. Censorship during the pandemic. Atkison criticized large news outlets for being a mouthpiece of the government or other special interest groups instead of challenging them or holding them accountable, particularly as it relates to the pandemic. She said that soon after the pandemic began, she spoke to many scientists, government as well as private, about the virus and the course it was taking before she formed an opinion. She asked some of the scientists to speak out, but they were afraid. They said they dare not speak out for fear of being controversial and for fear of being called coronavirus deniers, because that phrase was starting to be used in the media. And secondly, they feared contradicting Dr. Fauci, who they said had been kind of lionized or canonized in the press for reasons that they couldn't understand. Dr. Anthony Fauci has been the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984, which allowed him to advise seven presidents on public health issues, including COVID-19. He has been accused of misleading the public about funding gain-of-function research in China. Atkison said the National Institutes of Health used taxpayer money to fund gain-of-function research in partnership with China, but media reports were to the contrary. And then the narrative is being managed another way, I remember, after reviewing the grants themselves to my satisfaction, because I didn't know what was true till I found the documentation and then still hearing, not just public health figures, but reporters claim as if they know the truth, that none of this had happened. She said that another way to confuse the public about the truth is to label something a conspiracy, like the lab leak theory connected to the novel coronavirus. And yet, when you hear people say conspiracy theory, that's designed to pluck this little part of your brain that says, well, that thing's not true, said Atkinson. And I always keep an open mind and say that crazy thing that they say is a conspiracy theory may well have some truth in it. Atkinson believes the reason some people can be manipulated into believing the narrative put out by corporate media is that they live in a box, meaning the Internet is their only source of information. And the people that want to control the information understand that if they can only control really a few basic sources, we're talking about Google and Twitter and Facebook, Wikipedia. They've got a lock on information because we've all been funneled to those few sources. She said their goal is to make you believe you are in the minority and make you afraid to raise objections to the narrative. You can be made to believe that if you live in the box, so I'm constantly telling people, live outside the box. Yes, you can get information there and do what you do online, but certainly trust your cognitive dissonance. Talk to the people around you. Uh, But, you know, that's probably going to be labeled as misinformation, so better just scratch that I just said any of that. (laughs) Uh, Kind of to her point. Uh, The World Economic Forum just had their Davos uh, 2022 agenda. Um, So, go to their website, their homepage. The first alliance to accelerate digital inclusion. Well, what does that tell us? Right from the mouth of the horse here. Uh, COVID-19 has exposed digital inequities globally and exacerbated the digital divide. 37% 30% 7% of the world does not use the internet. Well, cuz if they did and you guys weren't controlling it, they might find out the truth. <laughs> with more basic services moving online and the pandemic highlighting affordability challenges in wealthier nations, these deep digital gaps are intensifying inequality and in preventing the achievement of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So how does a cross-sector alliance help with digital inclusion? The impact during the Davos Agenda 2021, the World Economic Forum launched the Edison Alliance, a global, global movement of leaders from the public and private sectors who are prioritizing digital inclusion as foundational to the achievement of the SDGs. The alliance fosters collaboration and cross-sector action to enhance the case for digital investment so that everyone can affordably participate in the digital economy. The vision is to improve one billion lives globally through affordable and accessible digital solutions in health, finance, and education by 2025. What is the challenge? The COVID-19 pandemic has dramatically accelerated the digitization of economies and societies. Access to digital technologies has allowed us to continue to work, learn, and live. But the global health crisis has exposed existing gaps and inequalities For the 2.9 billion people who are not using the internet. Uh, The funny thing about these people, like if you watch any of the videos. They truly feel that they are the elites of the world. They are the smartest. They know how you should be living your life better than you do. Uh, How they should be using your money better than you know how to use it which I'm not saying there's a lot of people that are crappy with money, right? So I'm not saying that's not an issue, but this group of people are so high and mighty on themselves uh, that one of I don't remember who the lady was. There was a clip and I wish I could find it, but she had basically said that uh, the elites trust each other more, but more and more regular people distrust the elites and our institutions. Hmm. I wonder why that would be. (laughs) Uh, Okay, anyways, back to this article. Although most of the world's population lives in areas covered by a broadband network, only two-thirds are online. Cost, not coverage, is the barrier to connectivity. In low-income countries, home to 650 million people, mobile broadband is 18 times more expensive than in developed countries as a proportion of average income. Even in the most advanced nations, affordable usage of broadband remains a challenge. COVID-19 has brought a newfound sense of urgency for digital inclusion. Having access to affordable digital services is no longer a luxury, but a necessity. Leaders from industry and government are pushing this complex and urgent challenge to the forefront of the World Economic Forum's agenda because no one sector can address this challenge on its own. All sectors of the economy need to be mobilized. Our Approach the Edison Alliance is the first global mobilization of industry and public sector leaders, bringing actors from the telecoms and broader ICT industry together with members of healthcare, financial services, education, and investors to lead the way into the digital infrastructure of the 21st century. Though the One Billion Lives Challenge, the Alliance is harnessing public commitments from governments, companies, and other organizations globally to accelerate the delivery of digital services for unserved and under underserved populations. One-third of the alliance has already made commitments to enhance, enhance digital inclusion. MasterCard has brought 500 million previously unbanked people into the financial system. As part of the 1 Billion Lives Challenge, it is doubling down on its original commitment to bring another 500 million people into the digital economy by 2025. In India, Apollo hospitals have provided telehealth programs for 16.5 million people. Its commitment to the One Billion Lives Challenge is to achieve an additional 20 million service delivery by 2024. Ericsson has pledged to positively impact one million children and youths by 2025 by providing access to digital learning and skill development programs, while GIGA, A global initiative led by UNICEF and ITU to connect every school to the internet hopes to connect 2.8 million schools and over 500 million children by 2030. American Tower has built close to 300 digital communities in Africa, Asia, and the Americas. Through the One Billion Lives Challenge, it has committed to building 2,000 digital communities over the next five years to improve the quality of life in underserved populations. Now, I would agree with what they're doing here. But in my opinion and what these people think of themselves and their education and yada yada, this is going to turn into, like I said, these people like the Chinese model to be able to control the population. This is how these you know brains think. That if we use the Chinese model... We'll give you the internet. We're going to come in. We're going to pay for it and let you use it for free. But guess what the information, where it's going to be coming from? (laughs) They're going to control the information that these people will receive. And that's how you get the control of the population. So if you're feeding them the information because you supplied the network You control their thoughts. And basically, you know, your propaganda can be spewed, unabated. Uh, You know, it's really just, I mean, this thing goes on and on again too, but I could be here to speak like six hour podcasting on. I like to get into the depth of a lot of this stuff. Uh, I like to make it so there's context to everything. I don't like to just cut little pieces out. Oh, this is you know, and then say, oh, this is what that means. I like to read the whole thing, and then you can kind of piece it together a little better, and I can still give my opinion of it. Uh, But a lot of it, too, this World Economic Forum talks about, uh, like, the Fed, the U.S. Fed here. Um, And they're a little bit nervous that if they, because there's this whole International Monetary Fund, or IMF, uh that are like the world's banks you know kind of like kind of like the fed is to the united states but these are like big banks that loaned all these other countries and junk um so they want to basically i think the the end goal is to have one world economy controlled by these people at the world economic forum and the davos people that they can basically control corporations uh, which will end up so uh, this is going to sound stupid. The trickle down effect this is where it's actually going to work because the stuff that's going to go on in these big corporations, these national banks, uh, it, like your MasterCard, oh, uh, the other X, the other one I'm thinking of, Chase, Bank of America, all those big named banks that are like national banks. They are all in on this and they essentially are the same as the Federal Bank. And it's not a good thing because it's the things they've been trying to hand down. I mean, they're coming after digital currency now, your Bitcoin and if you if you've bought Bitcoin or you buy and trade in it, they're they're looking at ways right now to be able to get a hold of that money or be rep- being reported on it as income because they can't stand you having any kind of freedom to do what you want with your own money and digital, you know, you've seen what happened with the internet not too many years ago where a lot of states started jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, we got to tax sales on the internet because we're losing all this money. Well, they wouldn't have to worry about that if they weren't spending more than what they're freaking taking in in the first place. And that's what I keep trying to explain to people is that the more the government gives, the more they have to take. So eventually, you don't have anything because <laughs> they're just you're going out there, you're working hard, and you're just coming home with less and less. Because the only way governments make money is by taking it from you, the working people. And with the corporations and all them going in full full bore on all this crap, the ESG stuff, they're going to control the banks. Um, one of the things I've heard to do is get your money out of these big national banks and more into the local banks. And then make sure that they aren't going in on all this ESG stuff because it may be the only way to protect your money from them just taking it, essentially. Um, the uh, Where was this one? I think it might be this one. Boosting capital for development. Here's how to advance sustainable foreign direct investment. I'm pretty sure it was this one anyways. Or it kind of talks about the impact. Foreign direct investment can play an important role in delivering the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. Investment flows can help advance a nation's development goals by bringing capital, employment, export export opportunities, greater consumer choice, advanced technologies, managerial know-how, and overall economic growth. There is a growing momentum globally for corporations to facilitate sustainable investment. More than 110 economies are negotiating a multilateral framework or investment facilitation for development at the World Trade Organization, which represents over two-thirds of its members. Announced at the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, these negotiations. negotiations are expected to conclude with an international agreement in 2022. A formal advisory body co-chaired by the forum was tasked to provide input from investors, investment promotion officials, and experts on investment facilitation measures. The agreement will take this guidance into consideration so that it increases FDI flows and their development impact in practice. What's the challenge? Sustainable capital, capital is available, but not always reaching where it needs to. I'll imagine that. We do that all the time here, especially with education. Like, oh, we gotta put more into money into education, more money, so we keep putting more money into it, and guess what we get? Nothing. And we get a bunch of higher ups that get bonuses and pay raises while the teachers, especially good teachers, don't get crap. They might get a oh we'll give you a cost of living wage increase, which is like well how about we just give you a dollar? A dollar an hour more. That's enough, right? We'll just take the rest of the billions of dollars that we were given, you know, to dole out to the teachers. (laughs) I don't trust these people. Uh, What does it say? In 2020, sustainable financial... Finance surged despite unpredictable markets shaken by the COVID-19 crisis. The value of sustainability-themed investment products such as sustainable funds, green bonds, social bonds, and mixed sustainability bonds increased by 80%, reaching $3.2 trillion. FDI, on the other hand, fell dramatically by 35% globally in 2020 as lockdown slowed down existing investment projects. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, when you're forcing everybody to be stuck in their homes. Uh, nothing gets done. <laughs> uh, duh, duh, duh. Investments in sectors relevant to the sustainable development goals, such as infrastructure, collapsed. International private investment in infrastructure has gone down by 54% in developing countries, highlighting the pressing need to scale investment facilitation efforts. Our approach for the pa- For the past few years, the forum has been piloting sustainable investment facilitation in several countries to help tackle shortfalls in sustainable FDI. These pilot projects have shown that public-private collaboration can not only identify but also implement much-needed action to facilitate sustainable investment. In Cambodia, the forum, in collaboration with the Council for the Development of Cambodia, created the first domestic supplier database with sustainability dimensions. This tool allows foreign firms to contract with local firms that operate sustainability and helps match environment, social, society, and governance ESG, capital to ESG investments. Uh, at the same time, the database helps incentivize other domestic firms to shift to sustainable operations to attract and qualify for such capital. The country has also adopted a new investment law, which includes the use of smart incentives for investments linked to development goals uh, part of that is you know if you're going to spend tons of money in the so-called green energy sectors and stuff like that uh, they'll give you money you not they almost aren't even gonna you know follow up to find out make sure that's what you use the money for he says what we've done here in the u.s in the past uh, Solyndra is a good example. I think there was like $500 million given to them to build solar panels and, you know, add into the grid. Uh, yeah, they went bankrupt, and nobody knows where all the money went. Crazy. I don't know how that works. Weird. Anyways, there's more and more stuff on here. Uh, another story as far as trusting institutions was... Uh, what was it? It was with the... Uh, so they've they've... Arrested like all these people from the Oath Keepers group, militia group, or whatever they want to call them, and nowhere on that list of people that have actually been charged, they haven't been sentenced, but they've been charged with stuff, which is all like a bunch of really stupid stuff. Let me see if I can find. Wish I can find that. It takes me a while. That's what happens when rednecks get a podcast. <laughs> Uh but anyways the the rundown of it was there was all these names what the age of this person was where they were from some of them I think were husband and wife which to me uh seems like there was a lot of people charged that were just in the Capitol. not all of them necessarily did damage or you know any kind of really malf malfeasant stuff um but the ones that were like the Oath Keepers. Now there's that Ray Epps guy that was number 16 on the FBI's most wanted list that was kind of quietly taken off the list and not answered about. we have had congressional hearings asking the FBI about who this Ray Epps guy was and did the FBI have informants in this crowd Uh, provocateurs, uh, you know, whatever else, and they won't answer. Once again, they still also won't give us, won't let the public see any of the videos. There's supposed to be like ten or 14,000 hours of different videos from cameras that are there, people's cell phone recordings. I mean, we got to see a bunch of them that people finally got out onto the internet after they happened, uh, clearly showing this Ray Epps guy That in all of these indictments, uh, he was never arrested and he was never indicted, but clearly is seen in the the crowd the day before and the day of enticing people and telling them they need to go into the Capitol. And there is actually a law that states that you cannot incite a riot, and he was inciting a riot. In my opinion, I don't know how it would pan out in the law, but I don't know. It's just really a lot of suspicious things that nobody wants to answer. And then they wonder why everybody mistrusts them, especially the FBI. And like I say, it's not all the FBI, just like all bad cops aren't bad. Not everybody in the FBI is bad, but there's enough people at the top ranking areas that are coercing and doing some really bad shit. So, those are the people... Pardon my French there. I don't know how to edit that out without erasing this whole segment. So, pardon my French. Uh, so, yeah. They want us to trust them. But they keep telling us the sky is green. So, I don't know who they think that us... You know, common folks are just supposed to step in line and do as we're told. Personally... I'm still on the fence with the uh, flag waving in the air, living that dangerous freedom rather than on my knees serving peaceful slavery. So here we are. I'm going to end this episode right here. I want to thank everybody once again for stopping in and taking time out of your day or night or whenever you're listening to this to listen to this show. Like I say, eventually one of these days I'll figure out how to do these little podcasts a little better, add to them. Uh, this this platform's not the easiest to like add things to, at least not for idiots like me. So one of these days, we'll get her figured out. <laughs> Anyways, thanks again for stopping by the Nielsen show. Till next time.